Welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, today uh, we had a good conversation, something, uh, you know, definitely not the usual corn, soybean farming conversation, uh, but I thought it was very interesting. What did you think? Yeah, we went a little bit out of our comfort zone as far as, you know, we're very familiar with row crop farming and we know about greenhouses, but we went even farther indoors into these uh, pods that are completely contained and they have artificial lighting and artificial temperature control and basically where everything is controlled. You're right, Jason. And our guest uh, was Don Taylor from Amplified Ag. I guess it's still considered a startup, but it's very interesting that they already have some of these products available for farmers and um, other people to implement out in the field. So definitely the technology has a lot of promise and it was a good conversation. So without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with Don. Welcome to the podcast, Don. It's great to have you on here today. To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're up to today? Yeah, my name is Don Taylor. I'm the chief executive officer here at Amplified Ag. And for the bulk of my career, I was in the software industry. I was most recently a chief technology officer at a software company where we built benefits management software solutions. And the last several years of my career there, I spent time in India. I made a bunch of trips back and forth to India and became very aware of the crisis that they were experiencing in India at that time. This would have been about 2015 from an, from an environmental and agriculture perspective. And, I, and I, I'm embarrassed to say at that time, I really was not that familiar with the, what was going on with our climate issues and, and how that was impacting agriculture. And as I was retiring from Benefit Focus, I uh, really started to get very interested in in the agriculture space, and I met some gentlemen from Pennsylvania who who were building aeroponic growing systems in greenhouses, and I went up and saw it, and when I saw it, you know, the light shined on me, and I I really understood what the the indoor agriculture movement was trying to accomplish, and that really set me on on a pretty lengthy research project just to start to understand the industry and the challenges and, and potential solutions. You mentioned a term there that I'm I'm not super familiar with, and I'm sure a lot of people maybe aren't, but aeroponics. I, I, I've heard of hydroponics. Is that similar? Yeah. So aeroponic systems are what, what you do is you deliver the water and nutrients to the plants via a, a mist on the roots. Mm. So no, no uh, water actually touches the plants. It, you atomize the, the water with the nutrients and then there's a mist that kind of hits the roots are hanging and it hits the roots. And that's what that's how you deliver as opposed to NFT, which is a nutrient film technique where the water is running through a channel and the, and the roots are just hanging in the channel. So there would probably be some benefits there from a disease development perspective and probably some other things where if they're not if you don't have water sitting there and the roots in the water or running through, maybe there's some benefits to that system. Neither one of the systems, the plants themselves actually get touched by water. You know, the it's, the nutrients are either being delivered via water or via a mist of water. And you know, for us, we had a very hard time. It's very complicated pressurizing the water and creating a consistent mist over time. And we we moved away from that aeroponic model to a uh, to the NFT model because it was just more difficult to operate for us. 
think there's another interesting thing about you. You talked about your background as a as a software engineer, and uh, I think that's really interesting. It's something actually that Preston and I talk about with a lot of guests on the podcast. How there's room in agriculture for all kinds of backgrounds. I mean, you you didn't maybe come in from a traditional agriculture background, and and there's all kinds of people in the agriculture industry today that did not, you know, they weren't farm kids. They didn't think, oh, I'm going to work in agriculture, but they maybe got to college, maybe got into their careers, and they found out, hey, there's a place for me, and I'm I'm interested in this, and, and you can bring in your your expertise from your other field, and I think that's really a great opportunity in, in today's agriculture that maybe wasn't there 20 years ago. Yeah, very very much so, and that's actually a really good point because I I I knew nothing about farming when I got into this business. I've certainly learned a lot in the last seven years. But one of the things that we have seen is because of the environment that we're operating, there is a lot of technology, and it is attracting a younger uh, farming audience. Which was one of the initial visions that I had was really trying to create a sustainable set of jobs for farmers moving into the future as well, so that there would be the traditional farming approach and then this next generation type type of farming approach, which really just works in parallel with both. I, I don't ever see it replacing it. I think it's just, it's a it's an additive method of growing in a different fashion that I think will just help add more food capacity to the planet over time. Yeah, absolutely. I think really we need a kind of all hands on deck type approach. We, you know, one system is not necessarily, like you say, going to replace another. It's just yeah. a, an additional way to produce food and maybe different types of food maybe lend themselves to one method or another. Exactly. Well, Don, tell us a little bit more about the the origin story of Amplified Ag. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the mission statement and what kind of problems you guys are working to solve. Okay. Yeah. So what really got me going initially, number one, was it seemed like a really cool science experiment, I have to admit. So I've been in the software industry my whole career. And as I got further into it and really started to understand the challenges with the environment and the challenges that farmers are facing, we we formed Amplified Ag with the mission of providing global access to safe food. And, and being a technologist, our my initial strategy was that we would build and sell technology and deploy it around the world and really focusing on regions where food security is a real issue. And as we got further and further into the process and as I began to learn how hard farming actually is, regardless of where you're doing it, we decided to also form a commercial brand called Vertical Roots so that we could operate the farms in a production fashion at, at high scale and be able to go through the entire seed to sale process, you know, all the way through processing and packaging and, and all the logistics that go along with it. And so in parallel to doing that, we continue to, to build out the technology and, and are now beginning to sell the technology. Uh, we're also starting to get in depth with organizations like the USDA. Uh, we've we've partnered with the USDA, collaborating with them at their facility here in Charleston, where they're going to be doing research and de development on a lot of different plant types and plant varieties. Because, you know, we started with leafy greens from a commercial perspective, but when I think about food security and moving farms around the world, leafy greens is probably not the right thing to deliver in, in other regions of the world. So, 
you know, we're, we're continuing to move that R&D process forward while we're also continuing to commercialize the sale of the produce and then also the sale of the technology. So you guys have products in the grocery stores today? We do under the Vertical Roots brand. Yes. Okay. Is that uh, something that the listeners out there can find? Is it in a, you know, kind of regional right now or is it spread across the country? Yeah, we're in the southeastern United States and uh, Publix and Whole Foods, Harris Teeter are the, the main. Okay. So if you're down in Florida or uh, South Carolina, check it out, right? That's right. Can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits of producing food in a controlled environment? So, you know, sometimes we talk about controlled environment agriculture. I think the acronym CEA is is thrown around sometimes. So there's different uh probably different levels of that from peppers being grown in an open field in Mexico with like a shade cloth over to help protect them from the sun, or we go to a full on greenhouse or, you know, just a, a hoop house where there's maybe the environment isn't so much controlled as we're keeping out maybe some of the rain and being able to control some of those diseases or get a little more heat and extend the growing season to where you're, you're talking about completely indoors, everything's indoors you're controlling that environment down to the probably last detail. Can you talk about some of the pros and cons of those approaches? Yeah, so we uh, just, I guess, give you a real quick background on on our technology, and then I can use that to explain the, the positives and negatives that I see. So we build uh, indoor farms and, and refurbished reefer units. So these are 40-foot by 8-foot containers that are heavily insulated. They were freezers in a past life they were put on ships and moved food around the world. So they're very um, conducive to controlling the environment inside of that container. So we uh, take the the container out of a scrap yard. So, you know, the first positive was just from a sustainability perspective, we're not building any structures. We're using something that was already existing and and was decommissioned. Mm -hmm. We take that unit uh, we put a, a air conditioning and heating unit on it, and then we we basically put all of the plumbing, all of the electrical. We've built our own control systems. So for all the water flow, for the temperature, the humidity, CO2 levels, lights, we've built software and, and control systems that manage all of those environmentals. So for lettuce, as an example, you know, we're, we're keeping the temperature at 72 degrees and 48% humidity. Uh, we cycle the lights on and off 16 hours a day. We dim the lights as the plants get up in size. So we're able to monitor to the, the intensity of the lights. So, and then we're also monitoring all the water flow that's going through the, through the pipes. And as we mentioned, we're an NFT system. So if you envision like a rain gutter, it literally looks like a rain gutter with a plastic cover. And then the the plant, the plug sits in that and basically in that channel and the nutrients are delivered to it underneath the channel on the roots. And what our growth process is, is we basically have two different types of farms. We have a propagation farm where we will spend 14 days. So we'll seed, we'll put the seeds in plugs, then the plugs will go into, a, a, it's actually a flood and drain uh, hydroponic system that will allow the plants to grow to about, I don't know, two, two inches or so. After 14 days, we'll transplant those into the grow channels, those NFT channels that look like the rain gutters. And then 21 days later, we have the plant 
about a four and a half to five ounce plant. And that, you know, some of the, some of the challenges are, is it is difficult growing plants as any of the farmers that are listening know it's not any easier in, indoors, I don't think. You know, we have, we have the advantage of being able to control the environment. So we, we always have the same temperature, the same humidity, which certainly helps, particularly with, from a leafy greens perspective. We're also able to control CO2 levels, which once again can help accelerate the growth of the plant. We've also uh, really done a lot of a lot of experimentation and research on lighting, and are getting closer and closer to mimic mimicking all of the uh, different spectrums that are that would be the same as the sun. So really getting that light spectrum to a point where the plants think they're underneath the sun. You know, with that with the lights comes power consumption, which I would say is probably the the biggest negative right now for the controlled environmental ag space is that the lights do use a lot of electricity. So for us, you know, we've gone through and built our own lights. We're controlling the lights with the software. So we're able to limit as much as possible the amount of power that they're consuming. Then we're also experimenting with um, solar and starting to look at wind options as well. So, you know, I think over the next five to 10 years, as we see renewable energies continue to grow and to get more and more efficient, that will really help the CEA industry in general, I think, move forward faster in a much more green sort of way. I'm trying to visualize a little bit, go back to how you talked about how you have the plants and the channels. Do you have multiple trays of plants in, inside, say on both sides with an aisle down the middle, or are they kind of stacked in there or is it one level? How does that look? And then also, can you stack these containers on top of each other? Yeah, that's a good question. So yes, you you described it exactly where we have five rows in the container. So basically five tiers of plants. And then there's a walkway aisle in the middle. The, the containers have 3,600 plants in them, the, the growth channels, and then the propagation will have about 60,000 plants in it. So that's one of the ways that we we gain a lot of efficiency is that we're able to propagate probably about 15 pods worth of plants with one um, propagation container. And then we, we, we have not stacked them yet just because access could, would be a challenge, but the, these containers are built to stack. I mean, they're, they're stacked on ships. So, you know, we believe as we get into more, urban types of areas where land could be a constraint that that would that would certainly be a an, an option for us yeah just thinking about from a, a yield per unit of land perspective basically you know you're already 5x uh you know not talking about uh production efficiency or anything like that but you're using maybe i guess you have a walkway down the middle but f maybe four times the footprint you're, you're really increasing that by four times or more and then if you can stack them, you really could produce, you have, you're taking advantage of a lot of, of surface area in, in a relatively small area. That's right. And then if you add the number of turns onto it, so, you know, we're turning those containers every 21 days. So that gives us about 17 turns a year. And, you know, depending on how you do the math, and it's always kind of fuzzy, but one 320 square foot container is going to be roughly the equivalent of an acre of land. Okay. That you generate the same in, in that one acre. So in, if you like in one year, the, the amount that the acre would produce in one year 
you're producing in one year in 320 square feet. Right. Okay. So at our farm in Columbia, South Carolina, as an example, we have 125 containers running there on three and a half acres of land. So, you know, that would be the equivalent of roughly 125 acres or thereabouts. Well, for, for any of the listeners out there that maybe don't have the numbers uh, in their head, an acre is 43,560 square feet. So you're basically saying that about 300 square feet, you can do what you would be able to do in 43,560. So it's a, it's right. a big uh, efficiency gain from that standpoint, it sounds like. Yes, very much so. Yeah, they're definitely not making more farmland, right? So um, right. the ability to add efficiency. What about from an input standpoint? Are there any efficiencies there when you contrast input per unit of yield in this NFT system versus a traditional farming system? Yeah, there are. We um, It's a closed loop system. So we're every 21 days, we are going to be cycling the nutrients out and back into the into the farms. So the amount of water that we use is roughly 10 gallons a day per pod. So, you know, that would be that would be roughly, you know, if you do the math on what the what that one acre of land would take for water, the water consumption is minimum almost minuscule compared to, mm-hmm. to a traditional yield. And we also, uh, the HVAC units of the air conditioner units generate a lot of condensate as well. So we actually can produce more water than we even use inside of Mm. the farm. And once again, because it's a closed loop, the nutrient consumption is a lot less than what you would see, you know, in fertilizers being spread across land Uh, from a pest. We don't use pesticides because we don't really have much of a issue with pests because the, the, the units are sealed. We have an airfoil, so when the door is open, the, a very strong uh, wall of air is created that will keep bugs from entering in. And we mm. found over the years that, that that really is very effective. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it sounds like a huge efficiency. I think about, you know, the average farmer who may apply nitrogen in the fall and the amount of, you know, phosphorus and, and other minerals that eke out into the you know, into the soil profile and to be able to recycle that water and some of those nutrients sounds like a huge, huge bonus. Right. Like I said, you know, I think the the biggest drawback will be the power consumption. You know, if you're outside, you're not, you're not having to deal with that. But I think when I look at the, the future of the world and thinking in the next 10 to 15, 20 years, I think renewable energy will be at a point where these farms will be able to be driven without that power issue, which will really then create a very significant offset, I I believe. Where do you see this going as far as adoption or as a percentage? I I assume right now the the amount of food that's produced in a system like this is a fairly small percentage of the food that's produced in the entire world. Where do you see the the growth rate of this going? I mean, is it are we going to be seeing a lot of this in the very near future as we figure out some of these uh, energy efficiency type things, or what's your prediction there? Yeah, well, I guess like if you look at just what's happening in the United States right now, just in the leafy green space, you know, I think we're all very well aware of the the water challenges that we're having in the West Coast and. The vast majority of of the leafy greens in the United States and other, you know, strawberries and whatnot coming from that region 
our supplies are struggling right now. And as a result, the CEA industry, you know, our company and others are, see a huge demand. But to your point, we can't, we can't even scratch the surface in the requirement that's the amount of food that's needed to be grown to even come, you know, we're, I would say we're not even 1% of the industry at this point, just on the leafy green space. And if you look at the entire produce world, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a minimal fraction. So, I, but I do believe over time, as we get more, more efficient in the deployment of capital, more efficient in the operations of the farms, and also get to a point where uh, CEA, most of the CEA industry today is being funded through equity. You know, so you, you see a lot of capital raises going on, and that's what's funding the build of these technologies. That is not a globally scalable solution, in my view. So, you know, we're very centered on really starting to transition into an infrastructure type of framework where we can put very large scale facilities at distribution centers. So you're eliminating the transportation cost. You're eliminating a lot of those other input costs that we haven't talked about from a production, you know, getting it out the door perspective. And at the same time, really getting to a point where there are agreements in place that, you know, offtake agreements so that the farmers who are operating these farms have some level of a guarantee that the purchase, that the product's going to be purchased. That will then allow the banks to get in and start participating in the in the funding of the capital required to, to put these farms in place. And I think once that happens, that's when we'll start to see, I think, the hockey stick increase in capacity from an indoor farming perspective is once we get past that equity phase. You mentioned strawberries, and that really piqued my interest. It made me start thinking a perennial crop like that that produces you know, a, a few months out of the year. Can you manipulate the environment in such a way that you're able to produce maybe year-round strawberries year-round, or is that something that you've even looked into? Yes, it is. And and we have, and we are. Uh, Joni, who is, is actually doing quite a bit of experimenting right now on growing strawberries and Every couple of weeks, we have a big batch of them sitting in our in our break break, break room. So oh, nice. there there is a tremendous amount of um, interest in the industry at large on the strawberry side because to your point, it's very cyclical. They're very fragile. They're hard to move around. So mm -hmm. getting to a point where we can grow a strawberry at the back door of a distributor or, or processor of some variety would, would be a huge add to the industry. Yeah, and, and have local strawberries in Minnesota, maybe in December or, you know, whatever, right. pick your pick your place. Exactly. I'm curious, Don, if you have a target customer or, you know, people who you think are best suited to implement this strategy, for instance, like, are you targeting farmers who maybe want to diversify outside of a normal corn soybean rotation or who's your, your target? And is it wide scale or have you kind of narrowed that down to traditional farmers? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. We, first of all, we, we have a tremendous amount of inbound interest on people who are wanting to get into this industry. And I would say better than half of them are current farmers who we really like to hear from because you know there's a there's also a lot of aspiration and as we've learned over the last seven years it's really hard to run a farm so you know having farmers 
participate in this, they're already much further ahead in understanding how to manage the customer and manage crop cycles and you know all, all of the difficult things of, of running that type of a business. And I and I, we do believe that this will create create an opportunity for farmers to have a diversified offering as well that really can be year round or be blended in with whatever crop cycles they happen to be operating inside of. We've also really started to focus on propagation and we're finding that we've done quite a bit of research with our propagation systems and being able to transplant the propagations into, into the field. And you know, there's, there's always a concern that the, the plants are, are tender coming out of, a, out of an indoor environment. Will they, will they succeed growing outside? And we're starting to prove that that, that will work. So we, we think that propagation could be another area where it could potentially really help the traditional farmers in, in accelerating their cycle and also probably driving down some costs depending on where they're getting their, their propagation done. So conceivably, a farmer could propagate their own starts for, you know, pick your crop peppers or whatever it is in a, in a container that you built on their farm and then take them out and plant yep. them in their field. Huh, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Are you at that point now as far as say there's a farmer listening and he says, hey, this really piques my interest and I'd like to see what I could do, get, get started with this as something that I can really diversify my farm. Is that something that's feasible right now? Or are we looking yes. five years? It is. Okay. So yeah, they, no, they very could, much so. That's interesting. So they could, I'm sure, find information about you on your, on your website. Would that be the place to start? Amplified Ag? Yeah. Or? Amplifiedag.com. Yep. Okay. So we'll link to that in the show notes. And, and we'll, when we wrap up here, we'll give you a little more opportunity to give some more contact information for someone that's interested. For sure. Well, I guess, you know, one thing I wanted to ask, and we ask pretty much everybody on the podcast is, you know, what excites you the most about the future of agriculture? Obviously, you're in a cutting edge space, uh, definitely forward thinking. So I'm curious what your answer, Don, would be. What what excites you most about the future of agriculture? Yeah, I uh, I don't know if it's excitement or, or fear of what's going to happen if we don't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I do think we all see the statistics and there's going to be 10 billion people on the planet by 2050. Uh, we're going to need to continue to produce more and more food, R regardless of what we do or don't think about climate change. I think we're going to continue to see environmental issues and challenges for farmers. There's regions of the world where people really are in desperate need of food and a, on a healthy, consistent level of food. So I'm excited about our company and our team and the industry at large really being able to be a part of helping to solve some of those problems. And in parallel, also being very, very concerned about the planet and making sure that as we move our way through this process, we're also not doing more harm than good. And I think when you, and most of the people that I've met in the industry have that same concern. So I, you know, I do think that as a, at a whole, we're all trying to move in the right direction. And I don't think that it's a competitive thing with the traditional farmer. I think that it's a, it's a method, number one, for them to add more, um, a different business model to their businesses, but then a, just another way to expand our food supply on the planet. In conjunction with that, or, or kind of to go along with that, so a, 
I guess, thinking about the future and maybe individual futures, people thinking about their future and their careers. We talked about a little bit of, at the beginning about the wide variety of opportunities in agriculture, but you have a unique perspective having come into agriculture from a, you know, as we talked about, not an ag background. What kind right. of advice do you have for someone if there's a student out there or maybe someone that is even into their career and they think, you know, ag is really somewhere where I could make an impact what kind of advice you know you've you've already walked that walk what advice do you have for others yeah so i uh i'm a huge believer in in always continuing to educate yourself and the people who do that generally end up wherever they desire to be and if they they work hard you know that's kind of just like that macro level statement but when you look at the ag industry and 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 I'll just use our business as an example. We have career paths for farmers, food safety people, logistics, um, software engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, design, horticulturists. I mean, you name it, just about got every possible career path there is. And we've had a number of farmers who have worked from being a farmer. We actually just had a, a one of our farmers get promoted into a software engineering position in the last two months. So I think that this industry creates a very unique set of opportunities for those folks who really want to get in and work hard and learn because farming is hard and it's hard from an engineering perspective and it's hard from a farming perspective too. So, you know, I, I think it's a, it's an amazingly interesting industry and there's still a huge amount of science that needs to be figured out. And there's a huge amount of engineering that needs to be figured out and just the, the, the farm operations, you, we're, we're never going to get rid of the farmer. That's just, in my opinion, that's just not going to happen. You know, I think that you have to have people who can look at plants and know how to make the plants grow and the technology is there to help mitigate risk, to, to mitigate loss, and to hopefully increase yields. But still, that farmer is very important. Perfect. Good stuff. We kind of already mentioned your website. Uh, is there anywhere else uh, you would like the listeners, any way they can connect with you, maybe social media, um, any platforms that you guys have a presence, either as a company or you personally? Yeah, you can uh, check us out on LinkedIn, myself and Amplified Ag and Vertical Roots as well. Vertical Roots is our is a commercial brand. And then we're also active on Twitter as well. Perfect. Well, we'll be sure to link all that in the show notes below. And yeah, we really appreciate you joining us here for the call today. Sure. Yeah, we've got some really good videos online too that give you, I mean, once you see it on the video, it all, it all makes sense. But and I appreciate you guys taking the time. Enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Don. It's been a pleasure. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.